Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 777th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we inspire you to become part of your food revolution. At this point, people get it. People understand that we've got a problem and that we are a big component in that problem and that we need to do something. And so that's terrific. And climate doesn't care about awareness. (laughs) Climate doesn't care about our feelings. Climate cares about our actions. And ultimately, if we're going to get to where we want to go, we need to start living differently. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is helping corporations develop sustainability strategies. We're talking with Graham Hill about cutting your carbon footprint. Graham is the founder and CEO of The Carbonauts. He is one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, and has been featured on the cover of Inc. and Dwell magazines. Before the Carbonauts, Graham founded the groundbreaking website Treehugger, which was the most trafficked green site for years with billions of page views. He has worked in the environmental field for over 22 years and is known for his ability to eloquently explain how we can create a simpler, wealthier, greener, and happier planet. Welcome to the show today, Graham. Are you ready to rock? Sure am. Let's do it. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. I call myself a designpreneur because I studied architecture and product design, so very much from that angle, but always wanted to, was very curious about business and from a very early age. And so that's been my focus. I was very lucky uh, during my studying product design at Emily Carr in Vancouver in 93, 94, to fall in love with the internet mm. uh, and just get enamored and wa- wanted to work in that space. So I m- moved to Seattle immediately upon the ending school. And my cousin Tish Hill and I set about uh, starting a company uh, to build websites. And this was very wow. early, one of the early, early, early ones. And we got Microsoft as a client. We did good work, grew it to 60 people and sold it. So that was a big part of things. And that basically meant that I got to New York and I'd made some money at an early age. And so I was very fortunate and and fortunate. And then I was able to be choosy about what I wanted to do and even self-fund 
things. And since 2000, I've been focused on environmental matters. Why largely hippie parents and reading and probably architecture. There's just a yeah. focus on thinking broadly. And so I've been very lucky to be focused on that since 2000. I worked on a plant-based air filter for a little bit there and got some bad scientific advice, but still got me into the area. And basically out of frustration in 2004, started Treehugger, uh, which I'd been thinking about for a number of years at that point. And Treehugger is a, a tongue-in-cheek name. Uh, it's actually, we love the hippies, but Treehugger was uh, not very Treehugger, in fact. Uh, and we were unique in that uh, environmental media at that point was just terrible for the most part. And we created first cool green website, uh, a website that was positive, was about inspiring by hope instead of by fear, was bipartisan. So it appealed to uh, both sides or all the sides, was pro-business. We felt that the business could be a real part of this and just was designed forward. And it really took off because it just appealed to a much larger sector of our society. And uh, yeah, just people felt like they found their people and they found their tribe. And so it went very well. And we became, as you mentioned, the biggest green site on the web for a bunch of years in the mid 2000s and then sold to Discovery of, of Discovery Channel fame, now mm -hmm. Warner Brothers Discovery. And they were fantastic. I worked for them for a couple of years. They kept a, took great care of the site and it had various joint ventures, et cetera, and eventually ended up at IAC, actually under the management of a good friend, Neil Vogel in New York. So Treehugger is still going strong billions of web pages later. And yeah, I'm happy about that. Then I spent nice. about a decade focused on small living. Uh, small living being just the idea that if you apply smart design technology and a little behavior change, that you can create a, a, a life uh, that will save you money, that will reduce your footprint, and that ultimately uh, a smaller edited life is actually a happier life. And so we did a bunch of media at Life Edited. Uh, I gave up some TED Talks on the various subjects, and we did some really cool projects, apartments houses with moving walls and transforming spaces. So lots of Murphy beds and just trying to do more with less. One of them was on the cover of the dwell small space issue. Yeah, just a lot of really fun sort of high design, cool stuff. And that was a great period. And then about three and a half years ago, in 2020, I started a company called The Carbonauts. Mm -hmm. And the big idea there is simply that one thing that was very different from Treehugger days was that we have awareness. In Treehugger days, the beginning of Treehugger back in 2004, this was about mainstreaming green. How do we get this thing more widely known? At this point, people get it. People understand that we've got a problem and that we are a big component in that problem and that we need to do something. And so that's terrific. And Climate doesn't care about awareness. <laughs> climate doesn't uh -huh. care about our feelings. Climate cares about our actions. And ultimately, if we're going to get to where we want to go, we need to start living differently. And that can certainly start with the great solutions that exist at this point. And, but understandably, many people, your average person, doesn't necessarily know what to do. It's confusing. There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation, just 
information, period. With busy lives and stresses, it's hard to know what to do. And so people tend to not do much. And so our role is really to help with that, to make it easy and really personalize it to people so that they can actually make a difference. So one story that we tell, which is a, a story we've, we're retelling, that Peter Kalmus, uh, a climate change scientist, tells, is about uh, a blogger on a plane flying from North America to Asia, and they're proudly talking about ha- how they brought the reusable water bottle and therefore are able to avoid a whole bunch of the uh, plastic glasses that they would be getting on the plane. He says, great, definitely do that. And you should be aware that the flight you're on is the equivalent of 100,000 water bottles in terms of emissions. And so wow. we, and we tell that story not to flight shame, and this is very important. We're really not about judging, but just that it's important for people to understand how all this stuff works. To, so you understand the scale of things such that you ideally put the effort, the willpower, the money in the places where you have the most impact. And so in that example, if you were spending a lot of time thinking about recycling and worrying about your reusable water bottle, but very little time in thinking about how you might pack two, stack two trips together or skip a flight in some way over the next decade, you'd be really focused on the wrong area. And so that is what I would say is a big part of what we do. The way that we've translated this is we tend to do workshops. So we're in employee engagement around Mm -hmm. sustainability for big companies. And so in the Fortune 1000, we have some a bunch of them literally in the Fortune 50. So some really big companies. And those companies, they've got often really aggressive sustainability goals, which is fantastic. Yep such good news. And frankly, it's surprising to me. So I'm really happy about that. But they often have sustainability teams that are too small and not enough budget. Maybe undereducated. I think the sustainability people often know a fair amount. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, they say that culture eats strategy and that you can put together a big strategy for your company wants to go but your culture really needs to be behind it. And so I think a lot of these sustainability teams, they're going to do the best with the people they have and the money that they have, and they'll do the strategy and they might hit a bunch of the low hanging fruit, but ultimately net zero is actually really difficult. Yeah. Uh, and you need a culture to support where you're trying to go. And so our role is really to help uh, get staff climate literate, climate enthusiastic, so they can be a, build a supportive culture. Nice. Uh, that's the Carbonauts. Yeah, mission. that's the Carbonauts. Yeah. That's right. Excellent. That's right. So I, I want to tease apart a couple of things. Great. Uh, in, in your bio, it said sustainability change agent. Can you define what that is? Sure. I think my role on this planet is to yeah try to move culture and get people to, to live in a different manner. I, I have clearly seen now for coming up on 24 years that We've got an issue with the climate that we have to deal with. And it's also very clear to me that we've lost our path somewhat. Mm -hmm. We've confused the amount of stuff and the amount of space we think we need in our lives with what truly makes us happy, which is relationships, 
experiences, connections, like that's what really matters. I think there's a beautiful modern green future that's literally just around the corner. One that's better for the planet, or the, the billions of other animals uh, on it, also better for our pocketbooks and, and is a happier place for us to be. And so my role as a sustainability change agent is to try to help people see that and help them, them get there in with their busy lives. So we do these workshops that are cameras on, highly interactive, tend to be virtual, cohort-based, so 15 to 25 people. And we help them understand the issues, but more importantly, understand the solutions and help cheerlead and coach them into taking action and then sharing about it to build the social norms that are really going to get us to where we want to go. So about 15, 20 years ago, I developed this theory. And the theory goes like this. 99% of the time people change because they get hit by a Mack truck. 1% of the time they change because they choose. And the big part of this podcast is to get Mm. people in that one or two or 3% where they're actually choosing to make a difference rather than having to get a broken arm or massive weather or fires or anything like that. Mm -hmm. How do we get people to wake up? In my opinion, it's all about social norms. So I think the way that we decide on how we behave is by looking around generally by the people that are close to us. That's how we make decisions. And so we just need to build new social norms. And so one very simple but powerful example in this space is littering. So in the 70s, people would literally throw garbage out of their car window. That wasn't a weird thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Greg, you probably wouldn't do it if you were miles away from the nearest person. And there's no way that anyone would ever find out. You just could not throw that bag of garbage on the ground. And that's just the power of you. And it's just part of us. And so we need new social norms. And I think you can see how lacking they are. As just a simple example, in the environmental movement, the number of environmental events I go to where they serve meat, and perhaps even plastic bottles, I think illustrates how weak we are. And I still eat meat, I will probably, I'm a weekday vegetarian, and I try to not eat beef and lamb, and I try to do, but, and I'm, I'm sure I will Uh, have great shame in the future when I look back at this time. But I still believe that if you're going to do an environmental event, it should be a a minimum vegetarian, if not vegan. And so I think that's a good example. So we have, and I would say a lot of people think, oh, uh, people love to point fingers. And so we people love to point at the, oh, it's the deniers. How are we going to get the deniers on board? And I think that if we should be so lucky (laughs) <laughs> to be, to be, for it to be about the deniers. I think this is at this point, it's about the choir. And we got to get the literally the 3%, 5% of us who are doing, are open to doing stuff to, to really do it. Um, yeah. So the number of yeah, environmental events where they serve meat, people, uh, the greenies arriving in gas cars, not to shame at all, but just to recognize that that's sort of where we're at. And we really need to build those norms and get the momentum moving. We can't just have solutions if people don't take them up. And so the no-brainer ones we need to do. A hidden one is probably just 
people having renewable energy at home. You can get it from the, the, your utility in like basically 50 states in about five or 10 minutes via online or via phone call. And it generally might cost you a little something. Sometimes you even save money. It's so powerful. It really reduces your footprint. And yet it's a fraction of our society that's actually doing that very easy move. So putting solar panels on our roof. If you are fortunate to own your own home and can do that, absolutely. Fantastic investment. Great thing to do. Or signing up for community solar via your utility or via Mm -hmm. community solar group. That's more and more available these days. Or signing up for uh, utility grade renewable energy from your utility. Nice. Widely available. Yeah. So you have a big six. These are the highest impact actions an individual can do to slash their carbon footprint. I wanted to focus in on those for a little while. Right. Um, Was that one of them? That was definitely one of them. Yeah. Switching to renewable energy is definitely one of them. And so we, yeah, there's, I think we have suffered from basically a hundred eco tips kind of stuff. And (laughs) we definitely did this at Tree Hugger, but I think uh, many of us are guilty. And I think it's really important to understand the impactful ones for you. And it depends who you are and what your life is about for sure. But in general, there are six that are really impactful. And so the big six are switch to renewable energy. So we Mm -hmm. just spoke about that one. I would say part of that would be reduce first. So you really want to, there are some basic things you can do that reduce the amount of energy that you use, which means you're going to save money, uh, but also going to reduce your footprint. So that's the simple, replacing all your bulbs with LED bulbs, getting uh, power strips and unplugging that beer fridge that you never use in your back of your apartment or in your garage. If if you're fortunate to own your own home or apartment, doing a good job on the windows and the insulation and smart thermostats and all that, there's a lot of stuff you can do there. So that, I would say that's part of uh, renewable energy. Secondly, it would be reduce the miles that you drive. Many of us have to drive. If you can reduce those, that's fantastic via biking, walking, public transportation, carpooling, et cetera. And then if you own a car, or even if you share a car or take taxis or whatever, you want to drive electric as much as you can. So the, they have, they're not perfect. There are some issues, but they are definitely a lot better than your gas cars. And so trying to yourself into an EV or a plug-in EV, because many of those will have a gas engine and an electric battery and engine. Many of us drive not that many miles a day. And if you're plugging in with a plug-in hybrid, you're going to be driving electric most of the time. So that's that's the second one, so EVs. Third would be food-related things. And so that's a move to a plant-rich diet, ideally as close to vegetarian or vegan as possible for many reasons, one of them being animal cruelty for sure. So plant-rich diet, Food waste. So food waste is 8% of global emissions. It's huge. That's crazy. So it's crazy. And so one great thing to do is just get focused on food waste. How do you reduce your food waste? And that will can save like a one or two thousand dollars a year, because that's how much the average American wastes in food. So you can really do something about that. And there are multiple benefits there. 
Uh, and then composting, whether you live in an apartment or a house, uh, you can do it. It doesn't take up much space. It doesn't actually create that much volume. It's not that complicated. It's fun, and uh, that'll make a difference. So those are uh, so food waste, composting, plant-rich diet under food. Then we have flying. And the average American only takes one flight, I think just uh, like basically a, a return flight every couple of years, but many of us fly a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And uh, flights are often half a ton up to 10 or more tons if you're going oh. far. So it's a, their flying is actually has huge emissions. And so we really want to reduce those. There are lots of things you can uh, do there, but we talked a little bit about that stacking trips being great one going yeah. less often but staying longer is a, also a good one that'll save you some money too and save you some travel time yep. uh, you can use google kayak and others to buy lower carbon flights and so that's oh, nice to look at there that's big so yeah so flying is another offsets these are controversial although they shouldn't be Offsets, uh, there definitely have been some uh, bad actors out there and some shenanigans, but there are many valid, important offset projects out there that need your support. And you're not going to get to zero in terms of your footprint. And so this is a great way to get you to zero. So reduce first, do all the things, but then buy high quality offsets with pragmatic projects like methane capture, like refrigerant destruction, things like that. So offsets is another. And then the final one is social norms, which we've spoken about. So much of our society thinks that basically half of us care when uh, about climate when actually 70% of us care. So a good 20% care, uh, more of us care than we think we do. So part of you want to do these things, but then you want to talk about them in a non-preachy, non-judgy, helpful, positive manner in order to build these social norms. Uh, shaming people, judging people is no way to get them to, cha to change. In fact, it may cause them to dig their heels in, uh, but asking questions and just sharing your experience and, and being excited about the stuff that you're doing, uh, which, which inevitably feels good is actually a really important part. So that's part why it's one of the big six. So you want to be sharing and that's you know, your email signature, that's sending emails around, texts, that's doing stuff in person, a lot of that for sure, sharing stuff in social media and uh, yeah, just uh, taking action and talking about it. So that's the big six. Nice. And it sounds like you've well thought them out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, once you look into the stuff, it's pretty, it's fairly obvious which ones the average person should be focused on. So let's look forward to what is possible. Can you paint a picture for our audience and describe our beautiful green future? Like, where are we going with this? The, the nice thing about this, like there's some great cartoon, like what, that's something like, like what happens if this stuff isn't true? Right, this climate, if uh, global warming is a hoax, yeah, and the punchline is basically, yeah, we're, we're going to make the world a better place. So many of these things are just so positive, like we just organic farming, just as one amen it's, to that. It's just better for our health, like, regardless. So, I think all of these 
So I'd say that's one, just it's healthier. I would say efficiency is that's our world gets better when we get more efficient and electric things are more efficient and getting energy from sun and wind, which is an unlimited resource and mm -hmm. can get to us in a cleaner manner than fossil fuels, which is a limited resource and will run out and has terrible challenges in how we make it into energy, how we find it and make it into energy. I think the, a beautiful green future is one that's healthier. It's one that has a better economy. It's more efficient. It has better functionality. Something like an induction stove. It's way easier to clean, mm -hmm. safer in terms of heat for your kids. It doesn't have a whole bunch of nasty substances in your own home from the gas. Yeah. So it, it heats up really fast. Michelin chefs, many of them love the inductions, the modern inductions, maybe not the earlier ones. There's some great functionality with many of these things. Heat pumps, uh, whether for your water or to heat or cool your home, um, save the heat pump will save you like $1,000 a year. Heat pump water heater will save you like 500 a year. So they're nice. just, it's just a better way of living. And, and I think just, I think we feel on the animal front, if we can get like cell-based meat or replacements or just more widely available, tasty vegetarian cuisine, like Indian food, which can be amazing. Oh my gosh. Yep. I think that can make such a difference. And I think we'll feel better. As I said, I'm still eating meat, but like we're literally, there are 92 billion animals we kill every year. Wow. And almost worse than that is that we torture most of them, lead horrific, torturous lives. Like I think yeah. we will look back with great shame. So I think we'll feel better too, as we live in, in, a, in a way that we're like, we're causing the extinction of many animals and we're causing the health issues with our societies, with our families, like people are getting sick because of the way we're living. So I think this cleaner, healthier, more efficient way of living is just, it's just simply better, period. Even if you thought climate change was a hoax, it's still better in so many ways. I think that this is really a timing issue. We would, in terms of climate, we would absolutely get there. We've been moving forward. Women's rights, civil rights, animal rights, like everything's been headed generally in the same direction with, in the right direction with some bumps along the way and some sliding yeah, yeah. back, which I, we don't need to get into in this podcast. Uh, but I think we've been headed in the right direction. The problem is we have just have a time period if we had 100, 150 years to figure out climate, we'd be fine. Um, but we don't. We have um, a lot less time. Uh, and so we just need to, to focus on it. So there's a, wake a, up. there's a great, beautiful, modern green future just around the corner. We have most of the technologies and knowledge that we need to get there. And we just have to get about getting there. Yeah. Get people on board. Yeah. Do a sustainability dinner series. Yes, I was a longtime New Yorker and still am. I lived there for 19 years, more than anywhere else. I love it. Love it, love it. I had a pretty deep network of sustainability people there just because I was focused on sustainability for the whole time I was there. Yeah. And so in LA about a year ago, I just was like, I got to meet the people. 
And so I started throwing 15-person sustainability dinners at my home, and I've done 30 of them or so. And then I started doing them in other cities where we have staff. And so, yeah, I've done tons of these dinners. And then I started doing a drink series. So we're doing a monthly. We've done the last couple months. We got 100-plus people, all sustainability people at a bar, a bar restaurant kind of thing. And so I'm doing those. I'm also leading some hikes, trying to get a little volleyball together. I have a book club. We're reading Braiding Sweetgrass, which is awesome. We have a film club that we're starting. So I'm just trying to build community around sustainability. There's an organization, which I'm sure is still going strong in some cities called Green Drinks. We used to be huge in New York back in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seems to have, it's, it's not huge everywhere. Tell us a little bit more about Carbonauts. And if somebody's interested in engaging with you there, how, what does that look like? And how do they go about that? So we're, there might be people on your audience that are fit, or but more likely is that they might know people. So our stuff is, is not mandatory. And so we tend to need really big companies because the companies pay for the staff to do this stuff and then they offer them and then we get signups and we need 15 to 25 in the room. So normally yep. we need signups of about twice that. So we tend to work with pretty big companies, but if it's a smaller company, which is probably still 500,000 plus people, I would say, and they're really evolved and committed and they want to get mm-hmm. a lot of their staff through it. It makes sense. Otherwise we have such startup costs to get really we don't tend to work well with small businesses, but yeah, so we're, we're looking for ideally a thousand person up that are really committed to this and we can help. We have a whole bunch of off the shelf workshops. We also can customize and we also can create a brand new. And so the ideal client, we awesome. put together a, a drum beat of content and activities. So something monthly for the, a year kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we really help show momentum within the company, uh, which is great. And so there are ESG goals that we help with, but also HR. A lot of people want to work for a company that cares. And, and this is a great illustration right. of that. Yeah. So if people are looking for me, they can hit me up on LinkedIn or Graham at thecarbonauts.com. So we're thecarbonauts.com. Unfortunately, there's a, a company that makes a low-carb bread called Carbonaut that has um, become very popular since we started the company. So it can be a little confusing online, but we're the plural. And if you look for the plural, you'll find us. The Carbonauts, perfect. And do you work with universities at all? We haven't yet, but we'd be interested. It's just the same thing. We just, we need them to have a larger commitment. Otherwise, just the cost of us getting started just doesn't pencil. It's awesome. You think works... Putting together and managing workshops would be a simple thing, but it's actually uh, <laughs> fairly complicated. And we work with, we have our own carbon calculator and yeah, we do. It's, yeah, it's quite the sophisticated op- operation. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how Great. you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. So I, I would say after I sold my first company, I set about doing, it was actually a humor oriented thing. This was in like 2000. And I, I would say the failure there was that I was ahead of myself and not focused on the DNA and the product itself. Mm-hmm. I was up at a, working at a higher level not in a good way. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so ultimately 
the product wasn't that great. And so the higher level ideas, we're going to raise money and then we're going to do this. We're going to partner here. Da, da, it didn't really make any sense because I didn't have the product product focus that it needed. So I think if that makes any sense, just got to be careful not to get too airy fairy with things. So uh, I don't know, maybe an example would be you're uh, putting together a, a CPG company focused on like energy bars. Like you got to get that energy bar to taste really good. Right. If you don't have that, then nothing else matters. So you got to get the product right. So I'd say that would be uh, one example. The other example would be life edited. In fact, I think I just didn't Ultimately, the idea was to become a, a, a real estate developer. Mm -hmm. I just didn't spend enough time really thinking about what that would be like and whether that would actually be a good fit for me. And so it took me a long time to realize, wow, I knew I didn't want to be an architect. I thought I wanted to be a real estate developer. And you know what? It's just not a good fit for me. So the, yeah. the failure there was just not spending enough time just stepping back and, and thinking, okay, where are we going? And does that make, does that fit? Does that fit? Do I like that? Yeah. So those would be two failures. Awesome. And your greatest success? I'd like to think so far. Tree Hugger, I think, is probably my greatest success. It's hard to understand unless someone like yourself gets it. Like people that were around in the early days, like we really, we created something. And it wasn't me. It was a team. Yeah. We created something very special and that really didn't exist before. Oh, and I know. so when people found it, they felt like, wow, this is my tribe and this feels good. And so that was obviously amazing. I made a bunch of money, like cool, but very rewarding in, in that I see the light in people's eyes that I, I helped help create something that really helped inspire people, help them uh, do great research and find new people and come up with the ideas. And, and I think we were part of a ton of business plans also. At that point, this is 2004, the idea that you could do well while doing good just wasn't that common. It was new, so, yeah. So in green, like, I'm sure we were part of many a business plan. And so I think that ripple effect, I'm very proud of as well. And what's your big why? Why do you do what you do? I think I'm an entrepreneur and a designpreneur, really. And I think like both of those are, are largely about problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, that's my big why to see there's this really big problem that needs to be solved, both for our, for humans, but also for our other animal friends. Uh, Everybody on the planet. Yeah. And that's the, that's the why. And yeah, and I, I choose it in a way because it's a very challenging problem. Feeding the hungry or something, it's, it's a lot more direct and you can feel the results. This is a very long, longer term, complicated. Yeah, it's a really, really tricky problem. So that's yeah. why I'm still at it 23 years later. <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite quotes is, and the gentleman from the Land Institute said it, and I'm paraphrasing, if you're not thinking out 100 years, you're not thinking big enough. Mm, yeah yeah love that yeah yeah and if you could recommend one book for our listeners what would it be and why i would say the overstory as a example of a fiction book mm -hmm. i think won a pritzker prize it's a long one but i think it's just a beautiful story that really helps you if you're not already in love with trees fall in love with trees and yeah it's just like 
I thought it was really great. And so I think that's part of, we, we save what we love. Yeah. And so I think the, those similar would be like a more something to watch would be the, my octopus teacher helps you fall in love with nature and animals. I think those are really powerful. And then while I'm slipping other things in that you asked me not to, I would also say the ministry for the future is more of a, a negative, a little more scary, but also a pretty great book. And that's fiction. And that's about climate change. And uh, I quite enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you for that. Yeah. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? It's a marathon, not a sprint. Try to get connected to stuff that really matters because years can rip by and yeah, really try to understand what makes a difference for you. What makes you happy. It's not space and stuff. It's, it's people and relationships and connections and experiences. And yeah. Um, so yeah, there's some advice. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Graham. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You bet. And how can our listeners get a hold of you and uh, your organization? Graham at G-R-A-H-A-M at thecarbonauts.com is good. LinkedIn is a great place. You can find me on there. And uh, thecarbonauts.com is our website, which needs some work, but uh, don't they all? Story of my life. It's a, it's a constant thing. You know that from <laughs> tree hugger days, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash thecarbonauts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.